Well, hey, everybody. How's everybody doing? Hanging in there? Good. Um, since I may not see several of your faces ever again, just uh, know that uh, I love you and the Lord loves you. Uh, bless you and keep you and uh, go and walk with Jesus. So we are finishing up this little two-week series called Dwell, and the whole purpose behind it was because we feel like the Lord has been calling us to to live a life that is far outside of our capacity as a church. And we want this life like Peter walking on the water with Jesus that's outside of the boat life, a life that is wondrous and beyond our comprehension because we serve a wondrous and incomprehensible God who is infinitely wonderful, majestic, holy, and yet knowable, that we can know him and walk in his power and his grace and his strength. And we desire this deeply for our church we will never do that if we are not regularly engaged in the Word of God. And so we desire as a church to have everybody who comes here, from the oldest to the youngest, regularly engaging God through His Word in Bible study and in prayer and in journaling and just studying and knowing Him through His Word so that they can grow in grace and truth. And we looked at last time what that looks like individually and the importance of studying the Word as individuals and what God does as we do that. Today, we're going to look at why we study the Word corporately and what purpose that serves. So to do that, we're going to dive into Colossians chapter 3. And uh, let me pray briefly before we do that, and we'll dive right in. Lord, we love you. Gosh, thank you for all these little kids. Um, your heart for children is just a delight, and we follow your heart for them, how, how precious they are to you. Uh, how delightful they are in your eyes, and so we, we give you praise for that. We thank you for, for your word that you command us not only to be in it, but to be in it in community. We thank you that you made us part of the body of Christ. Help us read and understand today. Uh, Holy Spirit, teach us as we walk through your word uh, together. Take a moment as we pray every week and just pray and ask that the Lord would teach you what he wants you to learn. Ask for his help in that. And take a moment also as we pray every week uh, that you would pray for someone around you, not just for yourself, but for um, someone you just met, someone you're very close to. Pray that the Lord would teach them, would encourage them, and uh, empower them today. Lord, we can bring nothing to you except uh, brokenness, and yet we come to you in the risen name of our Lord Jesus, asking for your help. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so Colossians chapter 3 will be mostly in verse 16. We're going to roll into it with a bit of context. So if you've ever read the book of Colossians, like most of Paul's books, they have a lot of doctrine in the beginning. And then the second part is generally uh, how you're supposed to apply these things. What does it look like for us to live as believers? And of course, chapter 3 is, is no different. And Paul is starting to explain how this whole life as Christians work. And in uh, chapter 3, verse 11, he says, there is... In Christ, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He has removed all these barriers that we use to divide one another. Therefore, because of that, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect Unity. So he gives this command of what we are supposed to do, and verses 15 and 16 and 17, I think are explaining how we are supposed to do that. 
So, okay, so I know, therefore, because Christ is all and is, he is in all, he is supreme over all things, therefore, as God's chosen people, I'm supposed to live a certain way. What I believe and what I do, my belief and my behavior are supposed to align in Jesus. So how do we live? How are we supposed to do that? Well, verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing uh, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's a lot in there. We're going to mainly focus on verse 16. But there's these two sort of pillars here where we're supposed to let something happen. One is let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Christ is very clear. You read through the Gospels. He gives us his peace. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give peace, but he gives us his peace. And it is very fleeting for most of us. We don't live in the peace of Christ. We read it and we're like, I don't experience that. But this says, let it rule in your hearts. The word literally means uh, an umpire. So like in a baseball game, the umpire says what's a strike and what a ball is, and he, he, what he says goes. And people can, if you've ever been a baseball fan, a lot of people have argued with the ump, but what he says goes. The peace of Christ is supposed to uh, rule and arbitrate and govern our hearts. We let all manner of things arbitrate or govern or rule or umpire our hearts, fears or uh, my own pride or arrogance or whatever these things that what drives you, what governs your heart. This is the peace of Christ is supposed to govern my heart. Now, like the phrase, you know, follow your heart, I've seen it all over the place. And as a, biblically, that's not a real great idea. My heart has led me into a lot of not great places. The peace of Christ, though, if that is ruling in my heart, the decisions that I make will be different because they will not be based in fear. They'll be based in the peace of Christ that comes from his life in us. And then it says, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Okay, so let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So when you see this word you or you're in here, those are all going to be plural pronouns, which is really important here. So it says, since as members of one body, there's this picture, this analogy that Paul gives throughout his writings of us being members of a body. Like I have, I have a body that's made up of different parts, but it's made up of different cells that make up different organs that have different functions, but it's all part of the same body. Well, he says, as members of one body, you were called to peace. We're all called to peace, not only as individuals with us and God, but also with one another. And so you cannot separate the Christian from the life of the body of Christ. And it says, and be thankful, which you're going to pick that up here in verse 17 in a minute. But now into the meat of it here in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So you would think that the word let would be passive, but it's a, the verb is actually uh, an active verb. It's more like opening the door. Like when you open the door for somebody, if I'm going to open the door for someone to walk in into a building, I have to actively open the door. Now, I don't actively make them go through the door. I open the door, and then they walk through. It's the same picture of I am actively responsible for letting the word of Christ dwell in me. And it's very interesting. So the word of Christ is the logos of Christ. It is the, the, it's broadly understood as, as, as the revelation of God, the word of God. Let the word of Christ, not just somebody else's word, not my word or some other teacher's word or anything like that, but the word of Christ, allow it to dwell 
in you. So this word for dwell, obviously we get the word dwelling from it. It's the same word Paul uses to describe how the Holy Spirit inhabits or dwells or lives in a believer. And it has an idea of, um, of both inhabiting and influencing. So the Holy Spirit indwells and inhabits the life of every believer and influences us and empowers us to live a life that we could not live outside of his empowering presence. So this picture of dwelling, if you think about a, your, your home, you dwell in your home, I want to kind of figure it out a little bit with two different um, illustrations. So there are different kinds of guests that come into your home, right? There, there are guests who um, call you before they come over, and if you know they're coming, you've got to pick up, and like they're not, they're guests, but they're like fancy guests. And so like when I was a kid, you know, my mom would pull out the Sarah Lee, and we would sit down, and that's what you did. Those were, those were guests. But then there are people who come over, and they don't have to knock. They may not even knock at all. They'll just walk in, and these are the, the people who are technically guests in your home. I mean, they don't sleep there all the time, but like they know where your ketchup is, and they know where your trash bags are, and when the trash gets full, they just take it out, and they put another one in, and they know where your, your trash is outside, and if there's not toilet paper, maybe they know where that is. These are the kind of guests who come into your house, and they have a familiarity there, an intimacy with you and your home. Our, our whole life group is in this category. We could not even be home, and our life group could just come over, and they know where stuff is. Like, if I forget hot sauce, like, Phil knows where the hot sauce is. If we forget to get ice, someone just goes and gets ice. I mean, it's not, they know where stuff is in our home. Another illustration, I want to go a little bit more intimate, and that's like a husband and wife in a home. So Jenny and I, we dwell in a home together. There are no secret spaces. Like, I don't hide stuff from Jenny. If you're hiding stuff in front of your spouse, that's a whole other discussion we've got to have. But your home, you share a home, and there's, there may be a space that's sort of your place, but nothing is hidden. Nothing is covered up. Nothing is tucked away. And so there's both, this dwelling has both this picture of, of um, you're always invited, of, and of, but of being intimately acquainted with everything in the home. You have full access to everything. So when Paul says, let or open the door to the word of Christ so that it can dwell in you, it means that the word of Christ would be absolutely at home in your heart and in your mind. That when you read the Bible and you read God's word, you say, Lord, come in and clean house. I give you access to all the corners, all the closets. These are my skeletons, Lord, that nobody knows about. This is the dark room of all my sins that I don't want anybody to know. This is what I'm struggling with right now. This is the kitchen that is a disaster. This, this is my garage. Let's not go in there. Lord, come in. It's an invitation. I open the door to you, Lord, and then I'm going to surrender control of my mind and my heart and my very soul to you. And I want your word to be at home in my heart. And when it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, that's a plural pronoun. It's like y'all. Let the word of Christ dwell in each of you, in every one of you. So it is not just an individual dwelling that happens, but it's the word of Christ dwelling in and among the body of Christ. And it says, dwell in you richly or abundantly. So, I mean, that just means fully, abundantly. When Jesus says, I come to give you life, you may have it in abundance. It's this concept of an overflowing abundance of life, a cup that overflows. Now, next it says, as you, plural again, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Okay, so the idea of, of teaching is 
is, well, first, the idea of admonishment is uh, pointing out what's wrong, okay? We've all been admonished in church. That may be most of your church experience. What is church? Uh, yeah, church is the place where you go for an hour on Sunday, and they tell you what you're doing wrong, and they make you feel bad, and then you go home. And then you come back next week because you kind of feel bad throughout the week. You're like, oh, I feel bad, so I should probably go to the place that makes me feel bad and points out all the things I'm doing wrong, and then sends me along my way. So we've all been admonished, right? I've, I've admonished my kids and just told them what they're doing wrong. It's not helpful. It's kind of like going to the doctor, and uh, you go in there, and, sh and she goes, yeah, you've got cancer. See you next week. I'm going to go have a latte. And you're like, hey, hey, whoa, well, we've got a plan? Like, what are we doing here? Like, I, I'm coming. You go to the doctor to figure out what's wrong so you can get treated. Does the doctor no good to just diagnose? Yes, okay, this is what I've got. Now what are we going to do? It doesn't mean no good to just point out what is, you're doing wrong in your life or for you to just tell me, hey, Brandon, you're wrong. Okay, like, I know I'm wrong. If you're pointing something out in my life that's wrong, I probably know it already. I need also to be admonished and taught. Teaching is really pointing to the truth. So if admonishment is pointing out what's wrong, you're off of the path in this way. Teaching is bringing someone back to the truth. Okay, this is what is true. I'm going to direct you to the truth so that you can get back on it. And the, the idea of walking on along a path, if I'm walking on this path, walking on this path to get path together, and I start veering off the path, I need you to tell me, hey, Brandon, you're off the path. And I look down, I'm like, oh, I'm out here in the woods. What's going on? And then I need you to tell me, hey, come back on the path. It's over here. I'm over here. Come back to my voice, and then I can get back on the path. We start walking together. It's like we're all little sheep following the shepherd, and uh, some sheep are further along, more mature. Other sheep are less mature, and somewhere in the middle is the rest of us. And we're all walking along following the shepherd. When one of us strays off, I need someone to tell me, hey, get back in line. I need to be admonished, and I need to be taught, but it says, with all wisdom. Just a quick reminder, you and I don't possess natural wisdom. Not really. There's experience that we have. There's the wisdom of, okay, I've been here and I've made a lot of mistakes and I've, I know more things because I've messed up more than you. But the wisdom which comes from heaven, like James talks about, which is first of all pure, then peace-loving and partial and sincere. I don't just possess that. I have to get it from an outside source and I have to get it from the Word of God. This is one of the reasons, as we're going to get to in just a little bit here, that the I need you to be in the Word and growing in wisdom so that you can point out my stuff. And you need me to be in the Word growing in wisdom so I can see when you're out of line. So this idea of teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, that means that we have to be growing in wisdom. Like Instead of Jesus, he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. If Jesus grew in wisdom in the great mystery of the incarnation, goodness those that I need to. There's a whole section of, this, of the Bible about wisdom, wisdom literature, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Psalms, Job. We need to be growing in wisdom together. Now, so teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Okay, the last part here is uh, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I mean, psalms, they're in the book. They're, they were originally worship songs of the people of Israel. Hymns, we sing hymns today, spiritual songs. We, we sing them in church today. Like they were doing it a long time ago and we're doing it still today. The, the idea being that the people of God doing the work of God in admonishing and teaching one another and letting the word of Christ dwell richly in them, they should respond to God with singing. He made us to sing. 
And you may say, I can't sing. Yes, you can. You may sing badly, but you can still sing. Singing badly to the Lord is singing to the Lord. That's why we say make a joyful noise. It doesn't have to be great. It has to be genuine. We are supposed to sing, and we're supposed to sing together. By the way, up here, not a performance. Uh, Don will tell you this a hundred times. He is leading us in worship. That means we're supposed to sing. So if you come to church and you don't sing, ask yourself, why? Why am I not singing in response to my redemption? We should blow the doors off this place every week. We are the redeemed. We've been redeemed from our sin by faith in Jesus. If you never have been, you're lost. And the Bible says you have a destination. And that destination is eternal separation from God, otherwise known as hell. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. There is a life that Christ offers everybody who turns to him, that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And that anyone who does that can cry out to him and say, Lord, save me from my sin. I believe and I trust in who you are. I believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. And I trust you to forgive me for my sins. Help me to walk with you. Anybody who cries out to the Lord with that will be saved. And anyone who does that should sing like crazy when we sing songs about our redemption. We're like the nation of Israel brought out of slavery and coming into the promised land. We forget, I think, how bad it is apart from God. And we need to remember when we sing psalms that teach us about him, hymns that remind us of our, of our connection and spiritual songs. And finally, it says, with gratitude in your hearts to God. This is really just your heart posture. And I want to get into that briefly. So how you approach Scripture is really important. So let's say I, I, I all right, I'm going to let the word of Christ do I'm going to open the door. What kind of heart posture or attitude should you have when you do that? Well, I want to direct you to Isaiah chapter 66, the last chapter of what I think is the best book of the Bible. I know I say that a lot, but Isaiah's, there's a really good competition there for best book. So maybe Isaiah and Romans duke it out. But Isaiah 66. This is 66 verses 1 and 2, and it's at the end of this incredible, gosh, there's a lot in Isaiah. If you want to really know who God is, read the book of Isaiah. And verse 1 says this, Isaiah chapter 66. It's kind of in the middle of your Bible. Should we go in the middle. It looks like right in the middle of this one. So I'm on page 668. It says, the Lord says, this is what the Lord says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my foot. So this idea of God on his throne and he just puts his feet on the earth like a step stool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Excuse me, you want to build me a temple? Seriously? My, my foot is on the earth. Where will my resting place be? What, are you going to make me a bed? Going to snuggle up in a little cubby hole? He says, has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. He's like, you, you humans, you guys want to build something for me, really? Then he says, to this one I look or esteem. That word means respect or admire. Do you know that God admires somebody? That's remarkable. And if the Bible didn't say it, I would feel like wrong saying it. But it says it right here. This is the one I esteem, admire, look to, respect. Who? Who is the person that God Almighty would look at and respect and admire? He was humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Remember the story of Moses when he talks to God and he says, Show me your glory. 
He's seen, he's talked with God and he's got to lead his people. And Moses is like, I want to see your glory. And God tells him, no, you can't. But I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will walk by you and I will shield you with my hand. And as I pass by you, you'll see my back. Because if you see me, you will die. We must approach the word of God with a humble and contrite heart that trembles at it, not out of fear, but out of reverent awe at who he is and what he does. So when you open your Bible to read, do it with a humble and contrite heart. And if you read it and don't have a humble and contrite heart, I'm going to suggest that you maybe are not really reading it very well because the God of the Bible is an all-consuming fire and he comes and calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And we can do that as we engage in the word of God. Finally, it says, whatever you do, whether in, the, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I try to look up uh, some stuff to figure out what it is when it says, whatever you do, right? This is this idea of, of saying or doing. He just covers it all. Whatever, whether you say it or whether you do it, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We say that phrase all the time. And I looked up uh, a uh, commentary by Matthew Henry, a great old commentator, and he explains what the in the name of the Lord means. This is kind of long, but so bear with me. In the name of Jesus means this, according to his command, in compliance with his authority, right? So submitted to his authority. According to his command, in compliance with his authority, by strength derived from him, with an eye to his glory, and depending upon his merit for the acceptance of what is good and the pardon of what is amiss. So to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus means to do it according to his command, means to do it in compliance with his authority, means to do it by strength derived from him, not my own strength, with an eye to his glory, not my glory, depending on his merit, not mine, for the acceptance of what is good and the pardon of what is amiss. I love that definition of in the name of the Lord. It's huge, but it's encompassing and it's clarifying for what does it mean to do that? For me to ask, okay, whatever I do in word or deed, I want to do it under the authority of Jesus. I want to do it in obedience to his word. I want to do it empowered by him. I want to do it for his glory. All right, so what do we do with these things? Well, last week we looked at really the, um, the internal process of engaging with the word of God and what he does is he teaches and rebukes and corrects us. But here you cannot get away with this picture, he says. We are all members of one body. You, plural, were called to peace. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, as you all, plural, teach and admonish one another with all spiritual, uh, as you, plural, sing together. Whenever you, plural, do, do it all in word, uh, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, we can't exist outside of the body of Christ as Christians. We can't. Not really. I can be saved. I cannot grow apart from the body. And I cannot be useful apart from the body. So there's this internal process, and then there's this external life that we have. An internal life with God and an external manifestation of that life, as I'll say it. The internal one being this. Okay, it is my personal uh, time with Jesus, my time in the Word, and where I'm, I'm studying the Word. This is what we're doing as we do this dwell thing. I want you to, we want you to take and read the Bible and pray and journal and, and, and respond to what God is teaching you through the Word. I want you to grow in grace and truth. I want you to know who He is internally, 
with your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. But that is not just it. This is very, very important, but it is out of the soil of that precious time that the Spirit will bring forth fruit to do what? Teach and admonish one another. As I said earlier, I need you to grow in wisdom so that you can point stuff out in my life that I'm not doing well. If you don't know that I'm not supposed to uh, be harsh with my kids and you see me being harsh with my kids, well, how are you going to correct me? I need the correction. I'm just a sheep following Jesus, but I, I forget, lose my way, I get busy, and I need someone in the body to come along and say, hey, let's get back on the path together. So there is this internal process, but then there is a, this external life that we have in the body. And that gets lived out, one, what we're doing here, but really in, in, in our church context, in small groups, life groups, and Bible studies, or one-on-one times that you're having, you have to go have coffee with somebody. That is how it must get lived out. Because we can't do this alone, meaning I can't do it just as an individual. So I'm going to talk to three different kinds of people. With regards to whether or not you're spending time in the Word individually and then getting into the Word corporately, there's the first person who knows they should do that and is doing it. Like that person, I say, keep up. Keep going. Well done. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't get beat down. Run and keep running. Run after the Lord. Run hard. Don't give up. You're doing well. I'm also going to challenge you. Find someone to do it with you. Don't just walk through the Word of God on your own. Go grab somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and take them along with you. Take them to coffee. Take them to lunch. Take them, bring them into your house and say, hey, let's study the word together. So if you're running hard after Jesus, grab someone to run along with you. So the first group is those who know what they're doing, know what to do and, and are doing it. The second group, I think are most of us fall, which is those who know that they should be doing things, know that they should be studying the word, but they don't do it. Either because we don't have margin or because we allow ourselves to get distracted or because we're saying no to the wrong things and yet, or yes to the right things and no to the wrong things or we just don't have, we don't know how to set boundaries. There's a whole bunch of reasons. I'm busy, I'm sick, I'm tired, whatever. But you know and then you're not doing it. And the third group is those who, who don't know at all how to study the word or even that they should be doing it at all. So I've already addressed the first group. The second group, those who know and don't, there are a bazillion reasons why you know and don't. When Jenny was uh, nursing our babies, she was not having a quiet time, by the way. She, uh, she'll be the first to tell you this. She was exhausted. She was bleary-eyed the first, like, six weeks. It's just babies and diapers and nursing. It's just a blur. And she would just sit there in the middle of the night nursing a baby and just say, Lord, I, I don't have anything. And the Lord just ministered to her there. It's the reason that Isaiah says that he... he that has a tender place in his heart for the nursing use, the mothers who are nursing their young because they're vulnerable and they're exhausted. So if you're a mama with a new baby and you're not having a two-hour quiet time every day, that's okay, all right? There is grace for everything. And there are seasons in life where you will have more time to do those things. If you're in a season where you're work slammed at work, that is okay. If, you're, if you work in crazy hours, take a breath. Jesus loves you. Grace is sufficient for all those things, but he calls you to himself. When he calls you, answer him. Find time. Say no. Say yes to the right things. Figure out a way to get the word and listen to it. I don't know. But if you know what to do and know how to study the word and simply aren't, my challenge to you 
is to do what matters most. Wake up in the morning or at night or whatever and say, Lord, what is the most important thing for me to do today? Show me what that is and then give me time to do it. That means I need to say no to something. That means I need to redirect my schedule. It means I need to uh, sit there with my kids around me in the morning while I do it. I mean, I've done a lot of Bible studies, reading my Bible with a kid piled on me, or two or three. And I don't necessarily know that I get a lot out of that Bible study, but I'm doing it, and my kids see us doing it, so I guess there's a lot going on there. But if you know and aren't doing it, I'm going to encourage you to just trust the Lord that you'll be able to finish the things that you have to do, Okay? If you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to study the Word, I've said this before and I'll say it again, I will teach you. However, the best way for you to do that is to get into a community group and you guys study the Word together. It's to get in a group with a mixed maturity of believers, some people who've been walking with the Lord for 30, 40 years, 10, 20 years, and they know how to study the Word. Get into a group. If you are just visiting us today and you're not, you know, you have your own church you go to, and I'm going to encourage you, get involved in a community that is studying the Word. And if they're not studying the Word in your community, find a community that is, okay? Or form your own community that's studying the Word. Have people over to your house. Open up the Bible, read it and see what it says. Do it together. While we created a Bible reading plan, like I want you to read the Bible because it's really good and we have it in a bunch of, in a bunch of uh, versions and we have it in our language, and I want you to read and study the Bible. Maybe you are short on time because you're working crazy. Well, do you commute? Listen to the Bible. You can download the Bible app for free. Find it. Find what we're reading. Look at Luke. Boop. Hit a chapter and listen to it on your way. You go to work out. Listen to it while you work out. Um, you uh, have a, um, maybe you don't, maybe you want to read it, but you don't understand what you're reading. Okay, buy a simpler version. Use the app. Find a version like the New Living Translation. The other ones don't make sense. Read one that makes sense. The best version of the Bible is just the one that you will read. If that's the King James Version, read it. I love it. You can do all the these and thous, and it's delightful. If it's uh, the New Living Translation, go for it. If it's the message, some parts are great, some parts I don't understand, but it's great. If you have questions about which version of the Bible to use, uh, you can ask us. It's the one that you will read that is most important. Sure, there are some that I prefer, but it's the one that you're going to get into. So as we look at um, diving into this plan together. There's, we're now a weekend. Tomorrow will be a weekend. We've got about 80 people on this group me thing, and we're just sharing things. And i got to be honest, the people that are sharing things, this stuff that I, had, I didn't see when I read through the passage. So we're reading through Psalms and Luke, and as I read through Luke, I'm like, man, I, didn't, I did not catch that. There is an incredible beauty when you read through the Bible in community. And I don't mean that you lead a Bible study. I mean you sit down, you open up the Word, you read through a chapter, and you say, okay, what does it say? And then you each just share well, what does it say? Okay, well, what does that mean? Now, what are we going to do with it? Okay, who, who, who is God now that I've read this? How do I understand who he is and what does he want us to do in our life? It is not complicated, but it is contested, I will say. Your flesh will rail against it. The world will think it's ridiculous and the devil will throw everything he can at you to keep you from studying the word. He will, because the more you're in the word, the less hold he has over you. Because as he accuses you, you can throw the truth back at him. So I'm going to encourage you, get into it personally and get into it in community. If you're not in a community here, if you're not in a life group or a Bible study or a small group here, I don't know why you're not. You just can. And if we uh, can fill them all up and we need to get more, we will get more. 
but there is information out front. There's a little kiosk uh, where there's a little uh, table. There's a thing that says uh, getting involved in community that shows where our life groups are. You can go to our website, divineokc.com, and look up life group communities and see when we meet. There's a bunch of them. I'm just going to encourage you, make the sacrifice. It is worth it to get in there and dive into uh, community because the reality is, is we cannot live in obedience to this passage alone. We have to be doing it in community, and we need to admonish and teach one another as we go. So as we roll into um, out of this and look up to Romans next, just take courage. Romans is a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous book. Do not be afraid. Uh, it was written for a reason, and we're, I'm, well, I'm super excited. Trev is not as excited because it's a, it's a beating to preach, but Romans is going to be an incredible time, and we can't wait to see what the Lord does as we go through that book in community. And so let's pray, and we will end our time today. Lord, we are so grateful to you for being so kind to us to allow us to, to not do it right so often, and you continue to call us back to you. You have won for us our salvation, and you have given us access to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need, and you call us to it constantly. Lord Jesus, you intercede for us. You are our high priest, constantly calling us to you, calling us to holiness, calling us to walk in the light of your word and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we commit our study to you, as we commit our individual lives to you, as we commit our corporate and um, community life to you, we ask you to work wonders that we cannot comprehend. As we walk in obedience to you by simply reading and studying your word, would you move in us in ways that the world could never understand? Would you transform marriages? Would you redeem people? Would you transform parents and children? I pray, Lord Jesus, that um, from the small work of obedience that we have of teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, of letting the word of Christ dwell in our hearts, I pray that you would grow such incredible fruit that we could only look at you and say how great you are and that you are marvelous and worthy of all praise. So, Lord, we bring our fears to you. We bring our um, ignorance to you and our not knowing how. And we just ask you to help us to start, to take a baby step, to do one thing, to open up your word and to dwell there. In Christ's risen name we pray, amen. Let's all stand up together and sing this final song using it to commit our hearts to this path. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord. He is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said? To you for refuge to Jesus have fled. Let's respond. My soul on Jesus has leaned for repose.
trials thy pathway shall lie my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply the flame shall not hurt thee i only design that draws to consume and i go to refine my soul on jesus Praise the Lord. All right, so we got babies dedicated. We got challenges to get into the Word. So whatever you do this week, I want you to know that the Lord Jesus loves you and He has pursued you and He is calling you to Him. So answer that call and go in peace.